the goal for any company in Vancouver shouldn't be to be a big BC company. If you want to become a big BC company, 10 million bucks will put you on the, the business of Vancouver Tech 100. You want to become a big company in, in the Valley, 10 million bucks. That does, that's not even the pizza shop across the street from Apple. Yeah. Right. So you got to think big and you got to be aggressive. Welcome to Afternoon Tea Podcast. I am super excited today. That is super plus excited um, because we have Chris Hartvigson uh, from Dooley uh, joining us. Let me let me set this up, please, Chris. Chris Hartvigson is the CEO and co-founder of Dooley, a sales enablement platform that collects customer information essential to close business sales. The cloud-based platform uses artificial intelligence, AI, as I said, uh, to capture, share, and find the customer information and with its algorithm, syncs digital notes, fields, and tasks straight into Salesforce while providing salespeople and customer success teams with the information they need. It enables customer-facing teams to reduce time spent on administrative tasks and close sales. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Nice to meet you again. Yeah. <laughs> meet, meet you is right. Meet you is right. Well, let me let me let me let me back up that history a little bit. A little bit, a little bit, bit of a caveat. So Chris and I have a history, and in fact, a long history, one might say, because Chris and I are both graduates of South Delta Senior Secondary, uh, grad ninety and ninety one, I believe. Correct. Yeah, you failed a year, right? Um, I wish. Uh, I'd like to say I, I passed. I passed. Well, yeah, no, but I. I they couldn't separate me from David. Come on. Why, why would that, no, why would that enough. ever happen? Why would that ever happen? Um, but, you know, we do have a long history and, you know, I've actually been super excited about following uh, Chris and Dooley uh, since the early days of Dooley and, um, you know, really excited about the growth and uh, the success you've had. And, and I, um, you know, with my, what were you called? This, this self Delta Sun Devils. There we go. With my with my Sun Devil flag waving, we'll be cheering for you to be closing those billion dollar deals soon, Chris. I'll mm -hmm. tell you that right now. Um, so, thank you for joining me today. Again, nice to be uh, on the show. Thanks for having me. No, definitely, definitely. So, so tell you what. Why don't we just do this? Tell me when when did you found Dooley? When was it founded? Oh, it, well, in my head, it was founded a lot earlier than it was actually on paper. So this is a problem that I've been exploring for a long time. I'm actually really fascinated by workflow and I really like to dig in to understand how things should work across an organization as opposed to how they do work. We tend to work very, very differently because the systems that have been put in place are really designed for an outcome or an output as opposed to how the information actually gets into that uh, that flow. So I started the company in 2016 um, and co-founded it with Justin, who I had met at uh, Mobify where I was doing some consulting at the time. Oh, very nice. Well, then that actually beats my question was, what were you doing prior? Um, but you were, you're, you were at Mobify then. Well, I was doing some consulting work there. Prior to that, I did nine years at uh, Vision Critical, which I think has since rebranded in the last couple of months. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I did nine years there, basically ran international sales, lived around the world, lived in Australia, lived in the UK. Mm -hmm. And I think the genesis for the business really came out of a lot of my experiences because I was spending so much of my time chasing information and pushing information and so when you're in sales, the, the thing that you don't want to do is get out of your high value mode. Your high value mode is where you want to live because, frankly, your paycheck is predicated on it. 
So we were spending all of this time updating clunky old Salesforce and before that Dynamics, and they were all kind of the same, to be honest. Um, and I just it just bothered me because I wanted to focus more on earning revenue for the business. And then I realized that when you know we're closing deals around the world, National Football League, Telstra, BBC, Nestle, like some really big brands, nobody walks up to you in the hallway and says, hey, congrats on closing the NFL. Did you update the competitor field in Salesforce? That conversation just doesn't happen. So it, it starts to make you realize that even though people want the data in the CRM, they don't want it bad enough to block you from actually closing business. Well, that's really interesting. So is that, um, well, that's really interesting. So, so when you're talking the, uh, the sales, was that for, for the previous companies or is that from your learnings through, um, through CRM, CRMs from, from Salesforce and all that, that was with your previous work where you started realizing, yeah. Hey, this is something that we really, yeah. you know, really can benefit from. Absolutely. So at Vision Critical, again, I was, you know, I was a top performer, triple quota. I was mm -hmm. like absolutely nutting my number. And then I started running teams. There was the same thing where teams were, were just crushing it. Um, and it didn't matter whether it was the UK or Australia where I was living. I lived in both geographies or in North America where I was uh, first boots on the ground for the US. Um, again, really just hitting our number in stride. So what I realized is we had a pretty good system. My system back in the day was pen and paper. Like I just had a really good organized notebook, but that whole world has gone digital. Mm -hmm. Everybody takes notes digitally now. Uh, and your notes are not what was said per se on the call. Your notes are what you need to do. It's your plan. It's your plan mm -hmm. of action. And that's, that was really the thing that, that bothered me is, you know, when you looked at the CRM, it was all about, uh, basically looking at a giant filing cabinet, right? So somebody took Salesforce and threw it up into a cloud and said, here you go. This is the new filing cabinet for you. Put your stuff in the filing cabinet. And so you always had to go over to the filing cabinet, open the drawer, find the file within the file, fill it in, and then close the drawer and hope that the drawer stayed closed. And with Salesforce, that was never really the case. And still to this day isn't. So I got just frustrated at all get out with that because, mm -hmm. again, my paycheck was based on my performance. So I stayed in my high value mode as much as possible as a result of that. And tried to figure out a way with Dooley to basically keep people out of the filing cabinet, but make sure that the files were getting back there on their own. Well, that's 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 actually really interesting because, you know, we, we've only started using advanced. We don't use Salesforce. We use HubSpot. The end of the day, same, same sort of idea. Same um, thing. Probably. A little bit, a little bit. I think Salesforce probably has a lot more tools, but at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but you're actually describing a problem that we kind of saw or facing ourselves right now, which is kind of intriguing me now that now that I'm learning more mm -hmm. about the product. Because, you know, there's that dislocation of the information. And then because we go from, okay, sale close to, you know, and, and the sales close, but they never really close because there's hunters and gatherers and they, you know, you need yep. that information to continue. But it goes into a totally different, you know, we leave HubSpot at that point. And then all of a sudden we have a dislocation of our information. And... Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm understanding where you're coming from here, and I think I think I I, I think I need this myself. I'll I'll, I'll just be <laughs> honest. With you. This is a conversation we'll we'll have uh, um off 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 uh, offline here. But hey, CDL, okay? Yeah. You were you were you took part in CDL? Yep, I did. Tell me a little bit about that experience. So I think the the CDL program, which stands for Creative Destruction Lab, for those that are not familiar. It is really designed to help create some discipline around your, your thinking around your business, right? So uh, if you go in there and willfully put yourself out there to say, these are my legit problems, this is legitimately what's going on, and you don't try to fake it through, 
because uh, you can game anything, let's be honest. Um, you know, uh, so if you legitimately put yourself out there, you're going to walk away with, uh, I would say, a few different perspectives on your business. Um, what did we learn from CDL? Like uh, CDL kind of comes down to three different types of personalities that are in the program that are there to help you in one way, shape or form. Um, and some people are there to just provide you with cold, hard cash. They're interested in helping you by investing. That's fantastic. It's great that we have access to people who look at your business and go, okay, I really like this. I can get behind this. Here's some money. Uh, then you have people that are there because they feel like they have the ability to coach you or guide you in a topic, whether it be finance or product or go to market or what have you. There are people that have experience and, and lots of hard yards behind them. And then, I mean, you're always going to have the third category, which is the one that I think is probably the least desirable, which is just the people that are there just information gathering. Um, and, and certainly, you know, that's the same with the investor world in general. I can promise you that. Uh, so big, big outcomes for us out of CDL. Uh, we made it right through to the final, uh, yeah. which was great. You know, it's kind of like your, your survivor program, if you will. Um, we ended up getting a number of people that invested in our business out of the program. Um, and we're very grateful for that because it was the fuel that we needed to get the business rolling in the first place. And again, it just kind of made us look at some of the different things that we weren't necessarily thinking about, like, you know, in product experience for going viral, um, security and, and you know, progressing business over into Europe and a bunch of different things that uh, today we have a pretty good foundation in because of the work that we did there. But you got to put in the hard work. If you don't put in the hard work, oh. it's, it's just a total waste of time, a total, total waste of time if you don't put the work in. I, I talk to a lot of people who are not only behind the scenes, you know, as, you know, helpers with the CDL or, you know, people behind it, but also companies have gone through and everyone says the same thing. It's just totally cruel. Like it is, yeah. it's, there's nothing emotional. It is, you know, you get cut. Like you, you said it perfectly. It's survivor, you know, and yeah. you have to be, I don't want to say bloodthirsty because you're competing, but you're not competing. You know, you're really just doing the best you can for your, for your, um, uh, you know, whatever your business model is and all that. But I have heard such interesting and positive things that come out of it. And I think, you know, if you can get that validation, which you clearly got, I mean, you, you get to the final, honestly, for those who don't understand, that is serious validation. You know, that must've been just a deep breath of like, awesome. Uh, this is something that we can yeah, do. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty cool. And, you, and again, you get lots of mentorship along the way and it's how mm -hmm. you leverage the mentorship. That's really important for that. Not just that, but any investor source or like you could go and do YC, you could do uh, 500, you can do any of the, the incubators that are out there. If you don't want to take the advice because you think you're, you're way too smart for it. Don't even bother. Don't waste yeah. your time. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, so coming out of that, is that when you took your seed round then? We had our seed round sort of got initiated partway through, which helped mm -hmm. us obviously to get people very interested in what we're doing. Hey, so-and-so mm -hmm. is in investing and so-and-so is investing. Well, that's mm -hmm. great. Um, so we had a lot of friendlies and the friendlies just continued to accrue throughout. We took our seed round or it's, it's actually a pre-seed round that we took with, okay. uh, with CDL. Uh, if we want to do like relative terms, we're comparing ourselves to the US, mm -hmm. what we raised okay. was pretty nominal. Um, mm -hmm. And so we did that in, I think it was February of 2018. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. And what what was that roughly? Was that like six figures, seven figures? What what are we talking was, about? It was a it was a small seven figure raise. Yeah, I think it's published at two million uh, Canadian. That's fantastic. That's honestly that's that's a yeah. really really good start. And I actually remember. I think I bumped into you just after you closed because uh, your office was pretty close to my the one on yeah. Alberni, and yeah. it was always nice yeah. to bump into you. And and you know, like I said, just to kind of witness your success, which was uh, yeah fantastic. I gotta say, the good old early days. The good old you, it's, not, it's not always easy throughout the run either. You know, everyone thinks you close the money and then it's like an easy thing. But no, now you got to, you know, focus on another round of money. That's usually what happens. Well, that's the funny thing. As soon as I stopped or as soon as I was done raising, people are like, what are you going to do now? I go, raise. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I, 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 People don't understand that. Like, you know, I yeah. think in order to be successful is, you know, that money is usually it's kind of already, I want to say it's pre-spent, but you already kind of spent it six months back. Cause I mean, the typical, I mean, what, what would you, your next round um, or have you, have you done another round since then? Should I ask? We might've. Yeah. Might've. Okay. Well, yeah. what's the typical closing should I say then from start to, to, to end of that? Oh, it depends. I mean, so I like in invest or talking to investors, like uh, grabbing a big tub of butterscotch ice cream. Um, and for the most part, Everybody wants to tell you that they're interested and it's, it's always a maybe, it's rarely a no, that's the vanilla. And yeah. there's a lot of vanilla in a tub of butterscotch ice cream. As soon as you get people that are willing to do diligence on you, then you've probably hit a small vein in the butterscotch ice cream. As soon as you get people that want to invest, you hit the intersection of all the veins. Um, and there, it's, you know, it's a small part of that big tub. But man, when you hit it, the dynamics are completely different. You, anybody that's listening to this, and if you're fundraising, if people tell you maybe, they just said no. Mm. If people don't want to invest in you, they're, they're, their signs are pretty obvious, right? And, or actually, maybe they're not. When people do want to invest in you, their signs are incredibly obvious because they start to mobilize their, uh, their colleagues around the business. They start to mm. get people to do diligence on you, and then they want to move forward very very quick particularly in your smaller rounds if you're wasting months and months with somebody on a smaller round they were never interested oh, or sure. or or they were interested but they couldn't get anybody else in the company to come along for the ride oh i dig that i did so 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 we don't i haven't done too much with raising uh just it's not nature of our business so i'm always intrigued mm -hmm. by 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 those who do and always impressed uh especially because i think vancouver's it, it's improved a lot, uh, but it's still a relatively it difficult market to raise in. <laughs> well, it you know what? I think Toronto's gotten so much better that they're looking, you know, the gravity's kind of pushed into Vancouver a little bit. But the, the people who did your first round, were they Vancouver-based or, or at least the people who took We lead? had some Vancouver-based investors. No, our, our lead investor was based out of Toronto. It's a company called Scale Up Ventures. Um, okay. Now, they had, they had representation in Vancouver. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and so that actually was sort of the the genesis of it was actually I knew the the heads from Scale Up because they, one of the partners was on the board at Vision Critical and I was always presenting to the board in our uh, quarterly board meetings. Mm -hmm. So look, uh, the Vancouver uh, investor market is incredibly immature, oh, yeah. and there's no other way to say it. It just doesn't have um, it doesn't have the number of investors. It has a very, very cautious group of investors that look for signals that in the States, quite frankly, they would look for two or three rounds later. Mm -hmm. um, and and there's, a, there's a reason for that too. I think there's, 
there's less money to go around. The, the funds tend to be a little bit smaller. So they want to make sure that they're making the best possible bet because uh, they just don't have the same ability to follow on with the, with the next rounds. And the other reason that Vancouver, frankly, struggles from an investment perspective, we haven't had a ton of exits. Like you go across Vancouver, there's just not a ton of exits. Exits are that's, where that's, that's actually what I was going to ask. The anchor, you need the anchor companies here. And I'm hoping that you will become one of those anchor companies so that we'll then we can have a whole new energized Vancouver scene, you know, founded and funded and fired up by Dooley, which uh, absolutely. Let, I mean, that's the that. goal. The goal for any company in Vancouver shouldn't be to be a big BC company. If you want to become a big BC company, 10 million bucks will put you on the, the business of Vancouver Tech 100. You want to become a big company in, in the Valley, 10 million bucks. That does, that's not even the pizza shop across the street from Apple. Yeah. Right. So you got to think big and you got to be aggressive. Well, I could not, I could not agree more with that. Well, we'll tell you what we got. We're using big, we're using aggressive, we're using great words here on your about us page. Uh, you're listing your key beliefs and we have things like people and purpose and curiosity mm-hmm. and bold. Where did these come from? Uh, if, well, I like to think they came from the people in the company. So we spent a lot of time going through our values and making sure we understood where we wanted to be as a business. I still think we're, you know, it's always going to evolve as the company gets bigger. But we, when we did our first sprint around people and and the, the, the personal brand we wanted to create, the top value that came out, and this, by the way, came out in our regular branding sprint as well, was empathy. Um, mm. And empathy for empathy for each other empathy for the world around you. And, you know, we live in Vancouver, which is a beautiful city, but there's a great big homeless population. There's a great big drug population. There's lots of things that could go on in, in, in like I, my office is hanging out near one of the roughest parts of town, really in the back alleys and whatnot. And you see all those people and you see them, they're all people's children. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it differently, as opposed to, I wish that a-hole would stop shooting up in my, in the alley behind my house. And you think about how, how unfortunate it is that they got to that place in the first place, then you start to think differently, right? So empathy for the world around you and then empathy for our customers is also a really big part of uh, our story. And that is really how Dooley has always built its product is focused on creating something that feels really human. So empathy is our biggest one. Uh, I would say, you know, curiosity, uh, passion, um, all of those things, being bold, being courageous, those are all very important values for the business. I would say the one that probably doesn't make it onto the page, but is sort of the all-encompassing part of being at Dooley is being a bit rebellious, right? <laughs> it's uh, it's being a Dooligan. That's who we are. We're Dooligan. all Dooligan. And, and as a Dooligan, we want, to, we want to infuse that into our brand. We want to infuse that into our users. Our users are signing up and connecting to Salesforce. And that's a bit rebellious, right? You got mm-hmm. You're saying to your boss, it's like, okay, I've had enough with this piece of crap software that you're making me use. I know it's, I know everybody needs to use it, but it's really frustrating for me because it doesn't work with my workflow. Um, and, and so we're asking them to do things that are a little bit edgy, rebellious here, connect to the corporate bank account, essentially. Right. Uh, now we've done a lot of things to make our product secure so that they can do that. Um, but still, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the Dooligan spirit. We want it to be alive and everything. I really liked how you defined and you described, you know, that that you had these these culture sprints. Uh, you know, you yeah. I don't think people that are not in the startup world, 
I don't think they really understand how important this is. And we, we like, for example, we did something very similar, but we had to get the hell out of town. So we we took the the senior execs and we all went to, to uh, California just because you can't be in the same place doing the nine to five to come up with this stuff. Yep. And the amount of work that it, that involves something like, oh, just grab it from a book, you know, like it's just open a dictionary and just grab a bunch of words to to to. To define these things is incredible, but also how once you have that defined, it makes the goals that you're going as a team so much easier. Who do you hire? What do they want out of you? What is our product goals? All of these things come out of that simple, well, not simple, but that exercise and the importance of that exercise. Because I, I, I remember I once I once um, had this one fellow in the very early days of TTT when it was called Two Tall Totems. And he, he'd done quite a few startups. So British guy living in, in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And he told me this is the most exciting time in the business because he wanted to jump on with us. He goes, this is where we start defining culture. And I'm like, what the hell do you mean you start defining culture? Like this, this is something that just happens, I thought. But it took me a while to start realizing that, oh, you need mm -hmm. to define it. And then you need to like just hug it and go with it. And um, so. Well, and you also have to understand that subcultures are going to cre create themselves as well. Your engineering yep. culture is going to be different from your sales culture. And oh, yeah. It's it's how they interact with each other. That's the culture, right? The 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 engineers in our company, it's all about craftsmanship and and mm -hmm. you know making sure that everybody's sort of like leveling up on their the quality of their their code they're delivering, and so they're really pushing each other on that. That's very different from how our our sales and our customer success and our marketing teams mm -hmm. uh, think about things. Not that we're not focused on craftsmanship, but we're focused on it from a different angle. For sure, right? Um, For sure. I think the other thing that's really interesting. Um, most people wait way too long to hire people and culture into their company, right? So it's like, oh, HR, who needs HR? HR mm. is just for hiring and firing. No, mm. HR sets the tone. Yeah. And it was like the 10th employee that we hired, people and culture. Oh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and once you have these things defined, it makes things easier, like as, as, as a unit to go forward. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great. So, you know what, you actually kind of touched on Mobify a little bit. And what's interesting is I actually have Igor, uh, Filetsky mm -hmm. as our in, as our guest next week, which is which is going to be fun. And they they obviously um, you know just sold uh, to Salesforce, and I give them congratulations. Yeah. Oh, you weren't aware of that? You were aware. Of no, that. I yeah. no no. They, I, I'm acknowledging. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. They, okay. Uh, I'm like, you, you, I know you had to be aware yeah. of that one. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, um, Salesforce has got you know they've got a pretty good position in Vancouver, and they're looking to grow. Um, what's what's your relationship with with Salesforce, being that it's so key to your business? Look, I think that if you look at the way that we interact with Salesforce, we're just trying to make the, their product more useful in the moment for individual contributors, or maybe make it so that it gets it's less in the way. Um, so our relationship with them is just fine. Uh, they would have, what they want is people to adopt and leverage and get good reporting and good value out of their product. And if they aren't, then guess what? They're going to cancel. They're going to blame it on Salesforce that, you know, the information wasn't where it needed to be. And they'll switch to HubSpot or they'll switch to Dynamics. And they're all going to give the same outcome. They're all going to give very average information because they're, none of them are thinking along the lines of the user. So we know the Salesforce ventures people very well. We know the Salesforce product management team very well. They're very impressed with our product. They love mm -hmm. the way that it works. Um, and in many ways, the, you know, the, aspirationally, they would love it if their product worked like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're dealing with a big, big, big <laughs> monolith, and it is a big monolith, oh, yeah. changing the direction of the ship at this stage in the game is really hard. 
Whereas for us, we can be super nimble. We can just be a nice overlay. What we do for today for Salesforce, you'll be able to do that with Dooley for any enterprise technology in the near future. Very good. Very good. So we can talk HubSpot uh, after this offline again then. So very yep. good, very good. Um, well, you host, or I, I don't know if it's you or, or Dooley hosts a segment called Fire Talk for <laughs> Sales. Do you, do you host that one? Uh, I used to, and then I, it, it hurt too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what well, do you well, want to know? <laughs> well, well what, what, what was the inspiration behind that? Uh, again, it's, it came back to that whole Dooligan spirit, right? What are mm -hmm. we asking people to do? We're asking people to be edgy and to be different. And, and again, being bold, being different is part of our, our corporate values. Um, I've always wanted to make sure that the work that I was doing was fun for myself and for those around me. You spend more time at your job than you do with your family. Uh, so you better enjoy your time mm. that you have at work. And so we're constantly looking for things that can make it more fun and more interesting. So Fire Talks is, is basically a show where we bring on sales leaders and, and people who have like prominent positions in social media around sales and their perspectives. Um, we bring them on the show and we start asking them questions. And every time we ask them a question, they have to eat a hot wing. And the hot wings get hotter and hotter and hotter throughout <laughs> the entire show. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, I mean, in college, we would have done a shot, right? Yeah. We're not doing a oh, shot. Yeah. We're doing a hot wing. And, <laughs> and I, so I started this, this was my, my dream to do this show. It had been for a while just because I thought we could do something that felt different mm -hmm. than your traditional webcast, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, okay. And, and it's, I mean, our impressions are insane. We get like ridiculous numbers of viewers every single week now. Um, and all we're doing is, is trying to still have a human conversation with somebody around a really interesting and important topic, but we're doing it and making them suffer a little bit too, which is, is sort of the, the side effect. That's quite funny. I started the show. I did the first few episodes and I'm, I'm Norwegian background. It freaking hurt way too much. So I'm like, I said to my head of marketing, like, dude, this is all yours, man. I, you're a great interviewer. Go for it. Have fun. I had one episode where, I had bit into a wing and it was, I can't really remember the name of the sauce, but it was so insanely hot. Um, I could feel the bones in my ears vibrating and it hurt and I could not make the pain stop. So I realized that I had to punch out. It's funny, you get some people on the show, we'll give them like the hottest one we've ever found. And some of the stuff is like twice the the heat of like police grade pepper spray, right? In yeah, terms yeah. of the Scoville ratings. And people are like, yeah, no problem. And they're just chowing down. You look at them going, how are you doing that? Uh, you can That's just imagine they, they would have probably done 15 more more shots at yeah. that point too totally. e easily easily we you know we're, we're, we're talking this is a little more fun i want i want to talk a little bit about about sdss yes because I, I i'm intrigued by this link do you have any teachers you remember that 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 made a difference for you or oh yeah you tell that yeah, you know, they brought sure. you out of the path of where you are share share one with me please I got a couple, but I, I I really, really loved my physics teacher, Mr. Havdale. I thought mm -hmm. he was just like, he was just a really genuine and kind person and, mm -hmm. and very empathetic. You know, yeah. I remember one time blacking out in the middle of a test and not being able to answer. It. And I was, I was an honor student mm -hmm. and I couldn't, I couldn't like, I couldn't even read the page basically. And he's like, no problem. Just come in and we'll, you can write it tomorrow. Go to the next day. But my, uh, my favorite teacher, I think from my days in high school, and I, I actually liked the number of my teachers, mm -hmm. um, Mr. Bomer, Herr Bomer, Herr Bomer, 
He was awesome. He would come in. He had this big German accent, and he would come in and he would story tell the entire time. You're you're learning history from him, but he's doing it through stories. I remember him telling us stories about why chlorine gas failed uh, in its first attack because they went against the Turks, and the Turks thought that it was a genie, and they all ran away from the green gas thinking it was a genie attack. I mean, you're just listening to this stuff, I mean, whether it's bullshit or not. I don't care. Like I was just like I. I'll listen to anything you have to say. He would put on like old, like yeah. World War II hats and stuff. Well, he was Hitler Youth. He, had, he was actual yeah. Hitler Youth, which was like, yeah. damn, you've lived it. You lived it. Yeah. You it's, know, well, can, he would always talk, can tell, I tell you about yeah. Let, let, let me tell you one more story, because honestly, this is what I was going to tell you, because um, I guess David had a class with him. Again, my twin brother, David, yeah. and I hadn't at the yeah. time, and it was snowing, and I was throwing snowballs. And I hear this German accent all of a sudden going, Hobbs, stop throwing snowballs. So I threw another one because, you know, I was pretty good at listening. And then all of a sudden I heard him say, David Hobbs, I told you not to throw snowballs. So I hit him with a snowball <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> and David had class with Your him the next week. Next you. day, oh, he got thrown into the principal's office. And that's David the whole awesome. time was telling him, I have a twin brother. What are you talking about? He's like, no, that's not true. So from then on, we were just doppelganger Hobbs. Oh, doppelganger. Oh, you ball bouncing funny. doppelganger Hobbses. You know, I mean, I, I, I used to bump into him still back in the day. And, you know, I, I'd be hard to believe he'd be at this age now unfortunately but uh yeah, he was such a sweet me too awesome Dri driving his volvo with shark wings driving his volvo there, yeah there. and he would he, so he had people that he hated and he had people that he loved i still remember like there was a guy mr mcguire it seems that you are not here to listen today perhaps you should go and sit in the hallway <laughs> and, then, and i love the fact you know yeah, no please for me it was like mr hartwickson it looks like you've had another successful uh, test. Congratulations. Would you like to, uh, blah, blah, blah. it was like, you know, he was always just very, very straight and narrow with his commentary, oh, but yeah. you knew if he liked you or if he didn't. Oh, completely. No inflection complete. in tone. <laughs> no. Well, I love the fact that his only, the only teacher that would ever be allowed to substitute for him was his daughter. Like, this is a oh, guy that had, that. <laughs> oh yeah, it was just, it's Hera Beaumart or whatever the female version of Hera Beaumart is. Um, okay. Anyhow, I'm, I'm so glad it was Hera Beaumart because oh, I, so I, I was going to share this. He was, was such a share. great teacher. He was and, and, by far my favorite teacher. I, I agree. And you know, he claims to, the, well, I want to say to this day, but you know, the band 5440, Twas and Fame, he mm -hmm. claimed that he gave them the name. Like that was his doing. So... Mm. We'll see if that's true. I don't know. Um, okay, so Vancouver, I mean, we're doing a lot of really interesting things and you're on the AI side of really interesting things, but where do you think technology, business, where do you think Vancouver either um, has, has a competitive advantage or we'll see you know, something competitive coming out of it in terms of technology, okay. business, any of these things? There's a couple of things that we realized when, when uh, President Trump got elected. One is not everybody wants to live in the U.S., Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we also saw a big exodus. We saw a lot of people from a lot of different countries that wanted to live in Canada as opposed to going to the States. We have a we have a technical advantage because of that. We also have a lot of companies in the States that are actually creating satellite offices in Vancouver. My hope is that that's not the way we go forward, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I hope that that's just an incubator for talent while we kind of level up our game as a as a society. I don't want our, our masthead companies in Vancouver to be the Facebook satellite office and the Salesforce satellite office and whatever else. 
I want it to be a beacon for great tech talent and great tech companies. We need some exits in order to make that happen. The most likely areas, probably SaaS is, is pretty high on the list there. We have a pretty hot uh, SaaS community as, I mean, SaaS you can do from anywhere now, but uh, certainly we have a pretty hot uh, talent pool that's building here. We are a very desirable place to live. So I think that that gives us an advantage. I also think that, you know, we'd be blind to not acknowledge the fact that Vancouver, there's a lot of pot. <laughs> so I would imagine there'll be some interesting cannabis tech companies that uh, mm-hmm. that start to scale in Vancouver as well. We've had a bit of a head start uh, in that area for uh, for a number of reasons. Thank you, Tommy Chong. <laughs> yeah, well, people just turned a blind eye for it. I, I Look, I remember way back in the day, people would just turn a blind eye to it. Um, so I think that there's opportunities there, uh, for sure. Um, we need the graduates of the previous tech companies to step forward and start doing some cool stuff, right? That's how we're going to build an amazing ecosystem here. It starts small, and it, but you got to be aggressive and you got to work hard to make it, make it into something spectacular. Uh, but yeah, we have every opportunity to create, you know, the next few billion dollar SaaS companies. They can be well distributed more so now than ever before. I would say it's probably going to be in uh, something in SaaS. I couldn't really give you an honest answer as to what, because I think all, the whole world is is leveling up their game right now. Oh, completely, completely. Well, here, here here's another question. Then, so your office, you're, 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 you, I, I, I don't know if you have a satellite office. You're in Vancouver. Is your your yep. office? Do you have mm-hmm. another office or a sales office, or is it just just Vancouver? Uh, no, we only have the Vancouver office, which I pay for every single month, and nobody nobody goes into it right now because of COVID, God, no, which no, is no. an awesome thing to watch. Your it's it's like a paper cut every single month when you actually write the bill and or write the or write the check for your rent. So yeah, COVID has really changed the way that we can operate for sure. I have employees in the Ukraine. I have an employee starting in Ireland. I have employees across the U.S., somebody starting in New York, somebody starting in San Francisco. Uh, and then I have a, a pretty big pool of talent in Vancouver as well. Oh, very cool. And, and yeah, I'm, I know the bleed right now. Have, have you been to my the latest office? On, uh, I don't on think I have. Network? You never invite me. Anytime. We have 15,000 square feet of unused space. Okay. Premium triple A. So I, I well, totally I should go dig over that. And take a peek because we are going to, we're going to blow through the seams of our place pretty soon. So. Oh, I bet. I that's bet. A, well, but but my question is this, where, <laughs> sure. well, where do you go next though? I mean, if, if you, if you need to get an office, do you go, do you go to Toronto? Do you go to San Francisco? Where, like, where would you, would you go? I go to everybody's living room. I think that that's the way of the future, to be honest. I don't, I just don't see offices as being required unless you have like, unless you have gravity of talent in an area, in which case you want people to still have 3D interactions, right? The one thing I really have hated about the pandemic, other than the fact that it's killing people and and making us all terrified, (laughs) is the fact that I don't have the opportunity to see people in person. And I am very much a people person, not just saying that uh, like you would in the middle of an interview. I'm a people person. I love being around people. I actually really genuinely love being around mm-hmm. people. Um, and, and so like Zoom and uh, and Squadcast and all the rest of the stuff, seeing people in two dimensions, frankly, it just sucks. Like, it wouldn't does. this be cool if we we're sitting across from each other having this conversation? Totally, because yeah. then I could throw stuff at you. <laughs> Perfect. So Chris, what is the toughest thing about being a founder? Oh, it's interesting that you should ask that, Chris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, 
I would say that it's a lonely job, to be honest. It's mm. there are a lot of days when you're you're doing a lot of soul searching to try to figure stuff out, um, and you don't always have the best answers. And so, you, you try to build an amazing team to surround yourself with, so that you can actually you know continue to move the business forward. But it's not always enough uh, as a founder. And there are things. Look, when you're in a startup, there are days when you're looking at your runway going. Oh shit! Mm -hmm. This is going to be really tight for the next couple of quarters. Um, and that once you realize that that's part of the roller coaster, you're fine with it. But it is really not. It's really a, unnerving. Um, so yeah, I think the toughest thing for me is you don't always have a good sounding board inside the business for every one of your problems. Um, and when you're hurting or when you're struggling with stuff you don't you can't necessarily just lay it all down and share that with your team because you're trying to keep your team buoyed up as well you know i'll give you a really good example my dad had pancreatic cancer and he got it very shortly after we raised our, our funding um and uh you know that's that's a pretty lonely island to be dealing with that while trying to run a business and trying to do both concurrently uh unfortunately it didn't pan out well for dad he passed away on september the 4th um so you know we but but again when you start to think about like the values that you try to entrench within your business empathy was mm -hmm. one that came out in spades throughout the whole process everybody knew what was going on with my dad i didn't hide it uh but i certainly needed to retreat and hold some of it back um we now have something that we've built internally as a result of of it uh, inside of our product we have this thing called a doodad uh, it's like the connector between Dooley and any other application or any other thing within our product. And so we've created a bit of a movement called Doodad Proud, uh, which is something that uh, is very near and dear to me. Um, and again, you can turn that loneliness into something really powerful, which is get everybody involved in it because everybody has got their stuff. I always say, I say this to my wife all the time, everybody's got their shit uh your, your pile your pile is just different from mine from one day to the next uh everybody's got their good stuff too right and so we want to make sure that we're being incredibly empathetic and wouldn't it be a great thing if we could all do our parents proud through the efforts that we're uh that we're investing our time in on a daily basis so yeah completely. The, completely. that's uh that's a big one well, you know, first off, actually, I did I didn't want to tell you that I am sorry about your father's passing. I had witnessed, oh, um, you know, what you were sharing on on social media. Yeah, but, you know, right. we had known each other, and you know, I empathy was really I, I, a key point of it because I, I I I mean, obviously, felt a lot a lot of empathy, sympathy for you know for for every everyone yep. goes through this. But you did it in a way that really showed the love that you have for your father, and, yeah, and honestly, it, it you know, I, I it, it touched me. It, it really yeah, did touch me actually you. when you're sharing thank that. You. So, um, and, and you know what you also touched on, I mean, it's, it's almost no, in terms of all the stuff that's on you, that's outside and you have to shield your, your, you know, your employees from it because you have to be that, 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 you know, leading thing. I mean, I, I say this to this day, I thank the, the amazing Mrs. Hobbs who, you know, is there so I can talk to her. Um, you know, oh. so if you do have um, challenges and it's easy to get down in these challenges, make sure you have someone to talk to. And I 100% agree. And we so talk about different. mental health a lot within the company. And if you're feeling lonely as a, as a leader, think about how mm -hmm. lonely it is to be a, an individual contributor sometimes. I, I have this really important thing that is that I hold on to as one of my personal values, which isn't up on the website, which mm -hmm. is never forget where you came from. Completely. Because uh, everybody had a start point. Now, some mm -hmm. people are given the start point, you know, gifted a business, we're gifted a lot of money or whatever. But for the majority of people, your start point is right at the very beginning. 
And if you reflect back to all the mistakes you made and all of the tough parts, uh, you will be able to understand what somebody else is going through and hopefully not run them over like a bus because you know that you could do it better, think that you could do it better than them. Completely. Really, really being compassionate to, to where people are going from and then helping them to get to where you want them to get to. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this is, this is the next stage in life, right? You, you get very successful with your business and then you realize that those people who are 10 years ago were you, how do I help them get there? And it's not about, you know, personal gain at that point. It's, it's about what makes yep. you feel better as, as a member yeah, of society. For sure. For so, sure. Well, I love that. And you know what? I could say that we had the personal gift growing up of Hair Bomart. That's what we shared right there. <laughs> that we did, Mr. Hobbs. That we did. Yagano Ganska now. Excellent. Hey, Chris, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you right, so much for being part of that today and, and, and best yeah, of luck. Sure. And we're going to continue following all the exciting stuff you do and, you know, check back in because uh, I'm, I'm excited to see the next stages of Dooley. Cool, man. Stay safe. Stay healthy. <laughs> Definitely will. Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcasts and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast focusing on the business of technology in Canada. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we'd love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at ttt, that's three T's, dot studio, S-T-U-D-I-O. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us on social media at TTT underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon. <laughs>